Everyday consumers are being bombarded with the next big thing in health, wellness, and fitness. What's the future of keeping ourselves healthy, and what's just a passing fad? Hi, I'm Joey Thurman, and if you don't know me, I'm a health and fitness expert and author. I've been fortunate enough to work with celebrities, athletes, C-suite executives, and everyone in between. I've been featured on the Today Show, Live with Kelly and Ryan, Good Morning America, TEDx, and lots of other publications. As part of my ever-increasing thirst for knowledge, which ironically happened after college, I decided to create the Fatter Future podcast. What sets this podcast apart is that I am the guinea pig for these episodes. I don't only want to bring in world-class experts on the show, I want to truly get a first-hand experience what it's like to, say, go on ketamine and trip for my depression, go on a three-day fast drinking nothing but coffee and water for age reversal, eat nothing but plants and get the blood work done to back it up, or even get my brain mapped to see how messed up my head is from getting knocked around playing hockey. Once I try these things, I bring on the experts to talk about my experience and explain it to the audience in a digestible manner and ask the true question. Is it a fad or is it the future? Because after all, we don't want to be fatties. What's up? It's Joey Thurman. We have another episode of the Fad or Future podcast. And if you are into nutrition and you haven't heard of this guy, you've been living under a rock. Alan Aragon, nutrition researcher. Man, it's such a pleasure to finally meet you in person. I went to a seminar a few years ago where you're speaking in front of hundreds of people, so you didn't see my ugly mug. Uh, but I, I listened to you there. I started following you, and uh, I subscribed to your Alan Aragon research review. And I, it's, it's such an honor to have you sitting in here, and, and I truly appreciate you coming out. Joey, it is an absolute pleasure being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, man. So what is it that you do? You're a nutrition researcher. That's something mm -hmm. you don't hear that often. Yeah, it's really weird. When people ask me what I do, I've resorted to telling people that I am a footnote at the bottom of uh, people's term papers. Okay. You, you, you're a good footnote. Though. That's that's what I am. I'm a freaking citation at the end of the at the end of the term papers, <laughs> at, the end of your, at the end of your school project. So. <laughs> All right, cool, cool, cool. So basically you you do a lot of research and you and you look at different studies mm -hmm. and, and then you kind of compare them and do your sort of analysis on it. Is that yeah, what happens? Yeah, yeah, there, there's a whole lot of whole lot of uh, I forgot who said this, but somebody once said there's a whole lot of evidence, but not enough judgment. Okay, so you're, you're judging. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm judgy. Yeah, yeah. okay, cool. <laughs> um, we have a lot of information, you know, and so with, with all these different little bits of information, the challenge is taking that information and finding out what is applicable in practice. You know, we've got all, all kinds of info from the micromanagey stuff to the big picture stuff, but... Um, how do we take these concepts, how do we take these findings and actually produce results, long-lasting results? So okay. that's that's always the challenge. Right. So, so yeah, and that's one of the things that got me into research because a scientific basis for doing this stuff as opposed to just shooting in the dark or listening to the best-looking or best-built person in the yeah. room, you know, they, we can get a little bit more methodical about it. So, Yeah. Okay. All right. That, that makes a lot of sense. So I got a little spitfire round for you, and then we're actually going to get into things. So I just want you to answer fat or future. Ooh. Okay? Okay. Paleo. Future. Keto. Future. Vegan. Fad. Slash plant-based. Mm, it depends on the term, In right? between, In yeah. between. Mm -hmm. uh, vegetarian. 
Future. Carnivore. Fad. Weight Watchers. Fad. South Beach. Dude, I'm gonna. You're you're just incriminating me with every, <laughs> with every question here, man. South Beach. Fad. Uh, cookie diet. This is one when I was a kid. Fad. Oh, okay. Uh, cleanses. Fad. Detoxes. Fad. Intermittent fasting. Future. Uh, begrudging future. Okay. Water fasting. Or days of no eating. <laughs> Fad. Okay. Living to 120. Future. Okay. Game changers. Big fad. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> if it fits your macros. Uh, oh, back to the future. Oh, okay. Um, colonics and chlorophyll up your butt. Mm, wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can I just say wow? <laughs> all right, wow. And spandex. Future. Okay, all right. That, that, how was that for you? That, that, that was good, huh? That, that was good. Yeah. I'm hoping people just kind of, <laughs> you know, take things with a grain of salt because... You know, little sound bites can be dangerous. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, believe me, I'll, I'll, I'll run everything past you ahead of time. I, I just wanted to kind of uh, break, break the, break the ice here. That was pretty good. Oh, oh, it's broken. It, 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 it is broken. All right. So now, with, with what you do, what, what do you? What's a typical day look like for you? Okay, a uh, typical day. Yeah, you know, I, I made a decision a long time ago. Uh, I guess it was uh, 2010, 2012 where I transitioned out of a brick-and-mortar in-person counseling practice to just being full-time online. Mm -hmm. So uh, since roughly 2012, I've been working out of my computer. So um, I've got two kids, one wife. And And one wife. Right, right. And I enjoy being at home. And so um, I get up, I have my my coffee uh, a few hours later I have my breakfast and uh, and the, the whole time I'm on the computer in the afternoon I hit the gym with my wife um, I come back work some more and uh, the kids get back home eventually and then it's just dinner time and hangout time um, and then hope mm, three days a week is like movie time with, with the family okay so it, it is one of the most uh, plain vanilla boring routines you'll ever hear okay um you, it used to be different yeah as i i stopped drinking alcohol a hundred percent i i literally have not had a drop of alcohol since august 25th 2018 wow well congrats. yeah yeah so the routine back then would be like m- me being at the computer uh-huh. way into the night drinking wine you know so so yeah yeah it's better now uh, all right cool now uh we, we always, we, I feel like we need to, we put ourselves in a box, right? Everybody wants to be in some sort of box, like where, whether they're keto or paleo or whatever. Why do you feel like we, we need to like have this sense of belonging with whatever the hell diet that we're on? Um, I think that relates to maybe the three basic or the, the three basic psychological needs mm-hmm. that, that humans have. And this is related to self-determination theory. So um, we all have a need to be autonomous. Or, or in other words, we all have a need to feel like we're in some kind of control and making our own decisions with respect to how our lives go. Right. And the, the second one would be um, competence. So we all have the need to feel like we're effective at whatever we're deciding to do. 
And then the third basic psychological need is relatedness or belonging. Right. And so under that tab, um, that's where it really kind of becomes important for us to feel like we're part of a group that accepts us and loves us, maybe even admires us mm -hmm. at times, and uh, to feel like an, an effective member within that community. Right. So I think that's the, the big one, um, in addition to the other two, that captures people into wanting to identify as either a vegan, a carnivore, uh, you know, usually pe people don't walk into a room and go, up, oh, I'm an omnivore, guys. Right. <laughs> uh, up, uh, I'm into moderation. You know, uh -huh. that, that usually doesn't happen. Right. But, um, yeah, that's that's my guess at, at why we would want to kind of put ourselves in these boxes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with working with people for, I mean, I've been 13 years now, we... It was like, oh, what, what, what do you, what do you, what type of exercise do you give people? I'm like, what type of, what type of goals do you have? What type of exercise do you need? You know, what's your, uh, you know, I have a decent amount of nutritional knowledge, nowhere near as much as like a dietitian or something. Or we're not, I mean, we're not even getting into the what is a nutritionist type thing, which I saw one of your posts, which was pretty entertaining. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, but you know, like, yeah, they. Everybody wants to be put in some sort certain box, but if, if I've got a movie star coming in to train them, I'm going to train them entirely different because they've got three months and they need their it's their career. So yeah, you're working out twice a day with me. Most people, what I say, coming twice a day, absolutely not. Uh, so context is king, and I, th I think the same thing comes uh, into play with you know what you're eating too. Uh, and I see a, a lot a lot of the stuff that you put out there. I mean, there's there's a lot of different options, mm -hmm. um, and it, it is is nice to see that. But I, I can see that. Why are people getting so confused about what the hell to eat? Like it's it's mm -hmm. something that seems so simple. Yeah, it it does seem so simple, but mm, the problem that I see is that in spite of people's credentials, in spite of their paper credentials as a physician or as a doctor this, a PhD that, people still carry in their cognitive biases with them regardless of how brilliant they are, mm -hmm. regardless of their credentials. And then everybody with these pre-existent biases just firing off ten different diet recommendations, um, you know, to the unwitting public, then they just don't know who the hell to listen to. Right. And it it is super confusing because there's so many different messages about what everybody needs to do. What's right. the best diet? Yeah, it's confusing. I, yeah, I mean, along, along those lines. So, what is the? Everybody can say that they're a nutritionist now, but what 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 is that quantifying difference between nutritionist, dietitian, having some sort of online certification? That you, who should people listen to when you you have these uh, credentials? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's that's a that's a big big messy question. Yeah. Um, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. Uh, and I say that a little bit carefully because that landscape is changing a bit. Um, nutritionist is a legally protected term uh -huh. in, in, in certain geographic locales, even in the U.S., but for the most part across the country, um, there is no legal protection on the word nutritionist. So, you you know, your dog can be a nutritionist, your cat <laughs> can be a nutritionist. and uh, But dietitian yeah. is, is a protected term. Registered dietitian is a protected term. Um, there are are pros and cons with listening to dietitians. Um, the the pros of listening to dietitians is that you're going to get, I want to say, like at least seventy five percent solid information, mm -hmm. and then the other twenty five percent of the information you get from dietitians is subject to their compliance with, in quotes, big food. Right. 
Right. <laughs> so, yeah, massive course. And, and in with big food comes, you know, big cola, big, you know, there, there are certain lobbies that are pretty strong. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of the, the game we play, and those are the chances we take. Uh, somebody's got to pay for the science. Somebody's got to pay for the research. Right. So if people complain about funding source for, for, uh, for example, dairy, the dairy industry, okay, are, are you going to pitch in to, to do the research on, on you know, what, what the effects of dairy are, good or bad? So, right. so yeah, we're, we're at the mercy of who can pay for what. Okay. So, I mean, what, what should people be eating? You know, I, that that's I mean that's a huge question, right? But yeah. it, it it seems like it should be so simple. Like, yeah. what the hell? What the hell are we supposed to eat to be healthy? That is a great question, I, and I love that question because the answer to it gets so many people mad. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, there is a wide margin of it doesn't matter. Okay. In in terms of what people should eat, you look at populations across the globe. And you see communities eating extremely different different sets of foods, e- even macronutritionally, carbohydrate, protein, fat is, uh-huh. is just drastically different across different geographical locations. Right. Uh, and th- this is the thing with humans. The thing with humans is this. We are almost just like dogs, but even more resilient and, and even more impervious to adverse effects of different foods like dog you feed a dog chocolate and you know that 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 can be deadly yeah there are problems yeah we humans uh, you know barring allergies barring intolerances which make up you know a minority of the population we can survive and thrive on almost anything you throw at us and um depending on genetic capacity depending on just your underlying wiring um it almost doesn't matter in terms of macronutrition so like high carb low fat uh, low fat high carb that stuff literally doesn't matter unless you are engaged in certain sports that have very specific demands for high intensity work output then it matters but if you're talking about the general population Mm -hmm. It honest to God doesn't matter if one guy is keto and he likes it and the other guy is like, you know, Pritikin level and, and he loves it, you know, the high carb, low fat thing. Uh-huh. Um, what does matter among those two camps is are you getting enough protein daily yeah. in order to support lean body mass? Um, are you getting enough total calories to support your activity requirements? And um, those two together, it's like, are you getting uh, enough of those things and not too much of those things to the degree that you are accumulating excess body fat? Yeah. Otherwise, it doesn't, honestly doesn't matter. Um, now, let me qualify that a little bit. It, now, it is entirely possible to create a diet that compromises your health and longevity. You can create a diet where, um, for example, a high-carb diet where all of your carbohydrate sources just from straight-ahead table sugar, straight out of the jar. Yeah. Okay, that that's obviously not a good idea. So there's something to be said about whole foods and minimally refined foods um, with respect to a couple things. Uh, number one, their nutrient density. Okay. So you can eat a crappy enough diet to the degree that you actually are deficient in essential micronutrition, even if you're fine in macronutrition. And then the other issue with eating a highly refined diet or ultra-processed diets, right. um, 
you miss out on the satiety factor. So satiety is, in, in a nutshell, it's your body's ability to feel satisfied or full right. and not just wanting to eat through the whole pantry. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there, there are those things to take into account when I say that it doesn't freaking matter. Yeah. When I say it doesn't freaking matter, I mainly mean high carb versus low carb. Okay. And, and, and you say so. I mean, everybody everybody gets into the protein debate, and and, and you say to lean, to maintain lean body mass. What does mm-hmm. that look like for your average in the individual? Uh, how much per gram per you know either kilogram or mm-hmm. you know pound? Yeah, the the protein question is something that's been investigated for the last fifty years, and we're we're going to keep investigating it because yeah. that's that's how we are. We need something to do. It's a first world problem, <laughs> you know. Right, right. So. Um, with protein, the the scientific consensus, which I was fortunate enough to be a part of when we're when we did um, it was Rob Morton and uh, Stu Phillips and, and and a bunch of other good bros, we did a meta analysis on uh, the amount of protein that would be ideal for um, building muscle. Mm-hmm. So and, and this is building muscle within a non-dieting condition. Okay, so it's not hypocaloric conditions where you're where you're eating less than you're burning for the purpose of weight loss. We only included studies that were at minimum eucaloric or at maintenance, weight maintenance levels, weight maintenance to slight surplus. Mm -hmm. So we looked at all the relevant studies and we found that about 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight is the sweet spot. So in in American terms, that's 0.7 grams per per, per pound, 0.7 grams per pound of body weight would be kind of like the, the sweet spot right? to maintain or even gain lean body mass yep. protein-wise. So for me, 200 pounds, about 150 grams. Roughly, yeah. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Quick math. I'm smart. Yeah, I'm, qu- quick I'm, maths. I'm, I'm, I'm smarter than I look. <laughs> Love that, man. Yeah. I, I couldn't have done that. You know, <laughs> Asian privilege and everything. I, I couldn't have done that. Really? Man, craziness. All right. So I, does it matter what type of sources that people are getting, whether it's you know protein powders or plant-based or pea protein or whey protein or casein or whatever the hell? Yeah, they, these are good questions because they have the most complicated answers, right. man. Um, generally speaking, uh, animal protein sources are better than plant protein sources. Okay. Uh, and this is because they're a higher quality of protein. And you, the most reasonable definition of protein quality is its percentage of essential amino acids. And um, also, you know, within the those essential amino acids, you have the key anabolic amino acids being the the branch chain amino acids and within the branch chains you have that key driver being leucine and so when you look at animal protein sources versus plant protein sources the plant protein sources are going to generally be a lot lower in essential amino acids okay. and lower in the BCAAs and lower in leucine right um, now I have to throw in a little wrinkle there because it, when you score protein in, in the different quality rankings we're mainly looking at composition of the protein, amino acid-wise. Uh, and there, there are some other ways to, to look at protein rankings, right? Okay, yeah. so what there is not enough research of is comparing head-to-head different proteins on their effects on body composition. Okay. Um, and, and let alone different proteins' effects on body composition under uh, conditions where people are training. Resistance training, preferably. So there's some interesting and as yet unreplicated research on pea protein. Mm-hmm. 
showing that it is able to keep up with whey protein really? for increasing uh, muscle thickness in this in this particular study. And so that kind of raised some eyebrows. And, and yeah, we can quibble over the design of the study and all that. But it kind of gave rise to the possibility that even though a protein is plant-based, it, it may have some magic to it that may be able to run with uh, with the big boys like whey. Okay. So, um, so, yeah, I would say generally speaking, animal proteins are superior, but there could be some exceptions. All right. Now, what about this research coming out and you know, these longevity experts that are talking about when you're having all this animal protein and you're having this elevated mTOR response, mm-hmm. right? And then that is essentially, you know, going to cause, you know, murder on our cells. <laughs> and and, as, and as, I mean, it, like David Sinclair talks about that in his book, Lifespan, where he says, like, meat is murder on our cells. <laughs> so, like, what is your response? I mean, mTOR, we need that to add muscle tissue, mm-hmm. and muscle tissue can be preserving to our joints and bones and all sorts of stuff. Uh, but then now we're not supposed to have a, a, enough? I mean, how, how do you kind of work through that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so here, here's the deal with that. People promoting that idea, Sinclair, uh, gosh, there's others. Um, uh, gosh, what, 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 what is the, I call them the longevity nutters. Uh-huh. You know, it's a whole camp of, of people who are just restrict your protein, restrict your protein. Um, yeah, Longo, Longo is uh, the yeah, god. Say, Robert, Robert, Robert Longo, right? Oh, boy, it's, it's some exotic first name, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, the okay. last name yeah. is, is Longo, yeah. um, but he's worshipped in, in that area. Uh, and here's the thing. The data on uh, yeast, so you know, single-celled organisms, uh, data on worms, flies, uh, and even rodents shows some benefit to protein restriction mm-hmm. because we can look at the lifespans of these animals and go, ah, okay, well, that affected that, and so therefore this. Well, here's the issue. Once you get to non-human primates, the data is equivocal. So some of it shows protein restriction extends life, some of it doesn't. And now we go all the way to humans and we start looking at what are the aspects of aging that are are most critical to our degeneration um, as a species during our time, during our short little time on Earth. And one of the most one of the most important signs of degeneration in humans with respect to the aging process Mm -hmm. is loss of lean body mass, loss of bone mass. Um, Sarcopenia would Mm -hmm. be kind of the clinical term for the wasting of lean body mass. And with the onset of sarcopenia starting in in older age, you really have to question the whole idea that we need to restrict protein. Um, There is no compelling data that in humans, protein restriction will do us any good. So, and, and conversely, there's no data in humans that eating a crap load of protein is going to just accelerate our, our you know, our descent into this, this horrible death. Right. So, with the longevity question, um, as it applies to protein, I would rather look at it like this. How can we optimize the growth and the maintenance of lean body mass as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And that would be a major contributor to extending our lifespan and our health span. 
So uh, my father died recently, and oh, I'm he, sorry to hear that. Thanks, man. Thanks. It, it, it's tough, um, but you know it toughened me up, and and I I still believe that he's upstairs making sure I'm I'm behaving. Yeah. Um, so he died of complications of uh, lean body mass loss. So one of the one of the things that happens when you get sarcopenia is you become immobile. And so once you can't get up from a chair, mm -hmm. and this was the result of a, an aortic aneurysm surgery he had that he just had a tough time recovering from. So it, it wasn't like he, he volitionally stopped training and, and you know eating and caring. <laughs> right. um, so what happened was he became immobile, unable to get up from, from a chair by himself, unable to walk around. And when that happens, bro, ooh, you know, everything is downhill from there. Right. Just everything, um, just structurally, metabolically, uh, your immune system, everything, everything goes down. And so if we can look at aging from the standpoint of maximizing muscle, musculoskeletal functional capacity, that's not going to happen from restricting protein. Right. Now, I'm not talking about we need to freaking slam, you know, a, a, a whole cow with each meal. Right. But... The weight of the evidence, as it stands today, uh, shows that among the general population, protein intake somewhere between 1.2 to 1.6 grams per kilo is appropriate for preventing sarcopenia. Mm -hmm. And there, there's another phenomenon associated with that called sarcopenic obesity, where you kind of get a combination of fat gain with lean mass loss. And that's a bad thing, too, yeah. from a metabolic syndrome standpoint. But, um, yeah, there, there's different ways to look at this. If you are a lifter, if you train, if you even lift, bro. <laughs> do, you, do you lift, bro? <laughs> if you even lift, bro, then you are definitely not going to be restricting protein. You're going to be using protein as, as a, a weapon yeah. in the arsenal for longevity. Right. Because, I mean, then you start having the sarcopenia and you fall down and you break a hip and you're 80 years old and, and then going under a knife is is going to be a, a big problem for you as well. I mean, then you have that hip replacement and all that sort of shit. So, yeah, uh, the, those mechanisms like mTOR and IGF-1 and all yeah. that, 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 they're zeroing in on that that might impede the, uh, you know, the, the longevity capacity. Yeah. That is missing the forest for the trees. Okay. Because we need to be freaking training. We need to be lifting and we need to be active for as long as possible. But when we stop being able to do that. Right. Nothing matters anymore. Right. <laughs> it, it, I mean, is, is there is there something that people? Cause let, let's say that the, this research is valid. I mean, maybe could you have a little higher pro protein consumption days when you're actually lifting, and lower pro protein consumption days, maybe a little bit more towards that one point two, or maybe one you drop that down on days when you're not lifting. Is there any research or validity behind that, or just we're just kind of grasping at straws now? You know that that sounds good to me. Yeah. Um. That that sounds cool. Um. And it depends on, on the person's goal. You know, if somebody is gunning to actually gain lean body mass or if they're in a compromised um, position to put on lean body mass, like, for example, if they're in the, the throes of sarcopenia, um, older individuals already have a certain degree of, 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 in quotes, anabolic resistance. So if you lowball protein in that population, they're not going to be able to utilize a protein as efficiently as younger folks do. So yeah. you're you're really kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you kind of lowball that population. Okay. So, but you know, if if somebody is at a certain level where they they have um, a favorable amount of lean body mass, muscle tissue, and, and function, and everything like that, and they're not necessarily trying to 
um, gun for the gains, right? Then, you know, the 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 lower training days or lower training periods, I can see one point two not being an issue. Yeah. Okay. Gun for the gains and do yes. you even lift, bro? Yes. That, I, I like that. We, we got to bring that back. That's <laughs> it's all like like ten years ago stuff. Oh, we, and we'll bring are, it back. People are forgetting about it. it, 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 it we we are bringing it back. Uh, what are you excited about now with uh, nutrition and where your research is headed? Wow, uh, I, I I really like the idea that we can try to simplify recommendations. I really like the idea that one size doesn't fit all. Mm -hmm. So there is a wide spectrum of preferences and what people will actually stick to. So the whole idea of how do we find out what people prefer and, and what they'll stick to, how do we find that out? How do we get the truth out of people for that? Because that is really, that's really the key to helping people stick to something for a long period of time. And it is exciting that there is such a wide range of uh, diet archetypes that work very well with different types of yeah. people. So, so for you, I mean, you're you're not one to say that. I mean, you know, we touched on this before that you need to be a certain way, and and you're not of the plant based camp or the keto camp or whatever. You just want people to essentially, you know, eat much better. And you actually made a post about it. You said, "Isn't it ironic that we agree on the health impact of the dietary variables that we mostly agree upon?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what what were you getting at there? Like what what are we we're so we're uh, we're we're disagreeing on a a bunch of stuff that really is kind of irrelevant, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one one of the things that uh, people are nitpicking over is um, nutrient timing within the course of a day. Uh huh. Like should should you be front loading your carbohydrate or should you be back loading your carbohydrate? Um, should you have three meals a day or five or six it <laughs> that's stuff honestly <laughs> it, it's it may make one percent of a difference uh -huh. across or, or even less um and it's just incredible how pe how much people assume that these things matter in the big picture when these things might not matter in in the course of a lifetime right compared to the things that do matter like I can picture somebody. We'll use the we'll use the carbohydrate example again. You take one guy where most of his carbs are from sweet potatoes um, and and veggies and fruits, uh -huh. or just potatoes. Period, and veggies and fruits and legumes and um, whole food whole food based carbohydrate sources. And then you take another guy who's just socking down. Uh, well, let's take the iconic pop tart. Uh -huh. Where all his oh, car man, I used to take pop tarts as a kid, <laughs> and and then and we're girl, we'll circle back and and put them in there, and I put fucking butter on the pop tarts as well. You were ahead of your time, dude. I mean, it was amazing. I, <laughs> anybody listening, do not do that. That is not good for you. Alan's the expert here, but I can tell you right now, emphatically, don't put butter on your pop tarts. Uh, pop tarts. If you want to send me some free pop tarts and, and sponsor the show, I'm okay with that. Ooh, <laughs> I haven't had pop tarts in decades oh my god but now that you mentioned your brand of bulletproof pop tarts <laughs> i think we may have something there all right we got it okay so circling, <laughs> circling back up the bulletproof right pop right so if, if you were to <laughs> if you were to compare somebody who got all of his carbs from bulletproof pop tarts versus a guy who got his carbs from peas beans corn yams squash potatoes um whole grain sources and i say whole grains with caution yeah 
because you can go to the supermarket right now and pull up a bag of whole grain goldfish. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the, the the definition of whole grain is is very uh, very nebulous. So they can just slap whatever the hell label they want on the stuff now. It's that's yeah. not really that much regulated. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. And and you can find all, all kinds of whole grain junk foods. Mm-hmm. And and you know, truth of the matter is, like most whole grain foods are freaking junk foods. Right. So um, and that's why when when you mentioned the paleo thing, yeah. the, oh, paleo is is it fat or is it future? Right. I, I said future specifically because um, I, I, although I was annoyed that paleo didn't like dairy and grains mm-hmm. and and legumes, I'm not all that annoyed about paleo's gripe against grains as a whole. Okay, uh, because grains almost are, are a double-edged sword yeah. because it's really easy to combine refined grain products with added fat, which is h- hilarious. I mean, you're talking about the pop tarts uh-huh. that you did. Yeah. And create a hyper palatable, easy to over consume food that leads you down a path of destruction. Right. So, yeah, that that makes sense. So now you weren't a fan of paleo, saying they were were they're not they're, they want to exclude the dairies essentially. I'm right? so not a fan of it. And why not? Dairy is the best one stop shop in nature that we know of for muscle building and bone building nutrition all in one one shot and it it does that stuff spectacularly mm-hmm. and when we look at the totality of evidence for or against dairy it is i would even say overwhelmingly in favor of dairy when you look at all the different health parameters mm-hmm. so um and yeah people will point to the fact that two-thirds of the population is lactose intolerant. So therefore, two-thirds of the population shouldn't eat dairy. Well, guess what? There's things that are low lactose. There's a lot of dairy foods that are low lactose. You know, everything from cheese to certain types of yogurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't have to be swilling down milk all day right. and feel like you're. that's the only dairy source. Yeah. So, yeah. So what about what about people who say that, that dairy is causing this inflammation in their body and like mm-hmm. if they that we should avoid you know milk and cheeses and all these other things? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your response to when somebody is saying that? It, it's it's just a matter of okay, well that sounds good at maybe a visceral or gut level, or it sounds good on paper. Dairy inflammation, yeah, I remember sucking down a ton of milkshakes and then I was freaking bloated the next day, right. you know. Um, but when you look at the scientific literature, you do a search on dairy and inflammation, PubMed, you will find an overwhelming amount of data showing that dairy is either neutral or beneficial to decreasing inflammation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something that I, I, I actually looked up within the past few years because the whole dairy and inflammation thing started circling, uh, circulating the Internet. Yeah. And I'm like, hmm. That sounds interesting. And so when you look at the evidence, you're like, wow, it's just the exact opposite. Um, yeah. So, and, and those and, weren't studies sponsored by the dairy industry. Uh, they probably were. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get that caveat. They, they, they probably were sponsored by Big Milkshake. Okay. Um, but there is some interesting research. Like dairy cannot be looked at as this homogenous unit, like this single food. You know, dairy foods have different effects on health depending on the dairy food. So um, something, for example, we'll take butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, butter, mm, I, butter makes stuff taste good. And so things that taste good can improve your mood, improve your quality of life, and as long as you keep them uh, 
within moderation and you consume them judiciously and then you don't consume them within the context of a diet that's overall too much calories and you're accumulating body fat and you're sedentary and you're smoking and you're drinking like a fish, butter's fine. Right. Now, if you compare the effects of butter uh, with the effects of cheese, which is this is a freaking interesting line of research, cheese happens to be fine with blood lipids. It, it, it has a neutral effect on blood lipid profile. Really? So certain blood lipid profiles or trends can be atherogenic, meaning it's going to lead you down the path towards heart disease, which is typically the increase in LDL and decrease in HDL. Cheese doesn't do that. Uh, it's very freaking interesting. Huh. Now, if you look at butter, on the other hand, well, butter can have a tendency to do that. Okay. So we can't look at dairy as a single entity. Okay. Yeah. There's there's wrinkles to that. Yeah. So I mean, if you're looking at like a you know, like a Greek yogurt versus cheese versus versus butter versus milk, like you 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 can't put yes. them all into one boat. You, there. You can't roll them all up into one. Um. Yeah. Okay. What about butter in your coffee? Butter in your coffee. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to bring This is not in my notes, but we're talking about butter. So the bulletproof butter in the coffee and the MCT and your bulletproof coffee or whatever the hell name you want to put it put on it. What 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 are your thoughts on that? And then being in this like keto, like let's let's go down this uh, in this like ketogenic state, right? Mm, okay, butter in your coffee is mainly comedy. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's but... delicious. <laughs> Here's the thing: like I- I've tried coconut oil in yeah. my coffee because I love coconut oil man yeah. I, I, I anything coconutty I love it yeah. uh, I haven't tried buttered coffee um, I wanted to do a thing where I, I would meet a friend at um, Bulletproof is there still a Bulletproof coffee a coffee shop in, in Santa Monica or did I, they close it down there, there's, I mean the Bulletproof owns everything I mean if, I don't know if there's one there but okay. yeah okay well I wanted to try bulletproof coffee and uh-huh. then maybe just troll my Instagram audience or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But at the Alan Aragon, by the way. At the Alan Aragon, okay. yes. And I, I, I'm neutral to it. It's it's like if that butter that you put in your coffee is within the context of an otherwise healthy diet and lifestyle uh-huh. and you enjoy your buttered coffee, even with MCT, yeah. then that's cool and that's fine. Right. Uh what what does annoy me is is when the claim is made that the butter in the coffee is somehow adding to your health or your performance. Mm-hmm. Like people say, yeah, that that butter in the coffee, man, it really you know makes you really mentally makes your brain alert. Better, right? Yeah, that's it, the claim. Like the brain octane fuel and the butter, and they're, they're, yeah. that's what they're saying is that your your body's become fat adapted, right? And then it's going to utilize that. Yeah, it's fat, it's fat or future. Yeah, that is absolutely a fad. Okay. Uh, and and here's the thing, man. Um, it's all about context. I I think that you can live a perfectly healthy and long life buttering your coffee as long as the rest of the context is good. Mm-hmm. Um, Butter your coffee, not your biscuits. <laughs> I got to try the buttered coffee, man. Okay, it's okay. it's been a while since yeah. that trend, and I I still haven't tried it. But I I would have to throw this in there too. They actually compared the effects of cream versus butter on blood lipids, uh-huh. and interestingly. Cream had a neutral effect on blood lipids, while butter had an adverse effect on blood lipids. So it raised, uh, I believe it was the ratio of ApoB to ApoA. So the ApoB subparticle is the atherogenic subparticle. And this was raised with butter, but not with cream. And the reason why is because of a structure called the milk fat globule membrane. Okay. Okay, so with cream, that 
membrane is intact. With butter, it's essentially churned out of the food. So that butter has some sort of protective effect, right. health protective effect that you're churning out of butter versus cream. So um, I found that to be kind of interesting. So not only are, are do you have less mess and cleanup with cream, but it has more favorable effects on blood lipids compared to butter. So the cream seems to be the better option over yeah if you were butter. to nitpick yeah, yeah, if you were to nitpick yeah right. yeah good well, old this, this is what this is what we're talking about I mean, people are going to nitpick everything right they're, they're going to think that this is going to matter as much mm -hmm. but in, in turn if they're having a bunch of their crap the rest of the day like this is this can be insignificant sure yep okay and i just want to make sure that i got around that there mm -hmm. so, so what are some fads that you're seeing right now that that you want to dispel or that you wish would go away hmm Okay, well, the, the big overarching fad is that everybody needs to get on X diet. Uh -huh. you know, everybody needs to get on. Uh, Twitter is, is a haven for um, carbophobia. Uh, it, it just there's something about Twitter that attracts every single keto and carnivore nut in the world. Yeah. And I think, I, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's the character limit. Everybody's got ADHD and they enjoy going, <laughs> <laughs> like twickering, bickering. Right, Twi and, uh, twickering, bickering and Twitter, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, that is kind of annoying, the whole idea. That even clinically, for diabetes, uh, like people are, are behaving like physicians or, or dietitians and telling people how to cure their diabetes. Just, just cut the carbs out, just cut it out. Yeah. And uh, per the evidence, that's that's not uh, that's not the solution. Yes, I remember when you we got on the phone was it last year, and, and you sent me you know um, a nutrition plan to like lose some weight mm. and stuff, and I'm like, oh my god, I can eat carbs, dude. <laughs> sweet. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, but I, mean, I I did that, and I, and I felt good, and I put on some muscle, and I, I mean, I'm stay pretty lean as it is, but. Um, yeah, it was interesting. Awesome. Like, and I'm like, does it matter when I have these carbs or whatever? And even on there, I think, and then like the guide that you gave me, it's like. Eat these, and it doesn't really matter when you eat the carbs. Like so, I'm not gonna have these carbs late at night, and all of a sudden it's gonna turn into fat, right? Yeah. In, in fact, there's there's a study that everybody keeps forgetting about. It's a 2011 study. Uh, the uh, the lead author is Sofer S O F E R. It was a six month study where they looked at carbs spread through the day versus carbs just all same same amount of carbs all clumped up in the in the final meal of the day, uh -huh. and the if you will, the back-loaded <laughs> carbs. Um, so carbs at night, right? Carbs at yeah. night. That produced the superior results in terms of body composition and appetite and glucose control and all these different parameters that was, it was very interesting. So Could it, there be yeah. something with like with that if you're having a carbs at night then the glycogen replenishment maybe? Like is there something along those lines? I mean, I'm just trying to spitball here and think what it would what could be the mechanism there? Or yeah, we have no idea. Mm, um, it could be, well, the, the authors would probably surmise that. Well, they, they looked at uh, certain things like adiponectin levels, and it's possible that maybe the rhythm of our bodies potentially prefer carbs in the evening, right. but th that remains to be seen. Okay. I personally think that that, is missing the forest for the trees because I think that we need to prescribe diets on the basis of what the individual can stick to. Right. So if you take a room of 100 people and you have this hand-raising exercise, how many of you guys prefer most of your carbs at night? Boom, you'll get at least half the room, mm -hmm. sometimes more. And then you'll you ask them, 
how many of you prefer your carbs like in the morning? And then the next question, how many of you guys prefer your carbs every meal? You're going to get different answers. Right. So um, whatever the person likes and can stick to, that is really what matters. Because in the context of active people, physically active people who um, maintain a lean and muscular body composition, mm-hmm. none of this stuff really matters. Okay. And I think that makes sense socially too. Like obviously, most of the time people are they're not meeting during the week for a big breakfast, but they're then going to go to dinner, a work dinner, or something like that. And then mm-hmm. if you save them later for at, at night, then they don't have to freak out as much, you know, yep. when, when we're looking at that study. So I mean, that that's pretty interesting. Yep. Uh, what about what do you think about fruit? People freak <laughs> out over fruit because they had a damn banana or berries or whatever, and they think they're going to get fat from eating some fruit. That's that's ridiculous, dude. Uh-huh. It, it, it is ridiculous. Now you can build a case for fruit juice okay. being an issue because it's a lot easier to drink down uh, 300 calories of of fruit juice than it is to eat three apples. Right. Um, however, we just have to default to the evidence with fruits. Um, the evidence on the whole shows that they're either neutral or helpful to weight loss. And if you've been working for clients for any real length of time, and I know that you have, um, I've certainly been working with clients for a million years, the, the consumption of fruit has never been the problem for, for clients mm-hmm. who are looking to improve their health or body composition. Nobody comes to me and says, you know, Alan, I just, man, I, I eat an apple, you know, between every meal and, and man, that... And late at night, geez, I just get this mad craving. I go and have like a banana and an orange. <laughs> it just doesn't. It doesn't happen like that. <laughs> All right, so uh, d- don't don't worry about the fruit. Has there anything that you've been over your course of your career you've been wrong about as far as what, what you've made recommendations about or research? Yeah. Oh man, the expose question. Uh-huh. I was wrong about the post-exercise anabolic window for muscle gains. So in 2003, there was this idea brought forth by John Ivey and Robert Portman in a book called Nutrient Timing. And they said that basically you've got uh, within an hour to have really quickly absorbed protein and carbohydrate in order to recover properly and grow muscle. And so um, that kind of began the era of people just sucking down whey and dextrose within seven seconds right? finishing their last set. Like gummy bears and all sorts yes. of things. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Everybody did it. Everybody added sugar to their whey. Uh-huh. Um, people would go to the, um, the brewing shops and buy bags of dextrose. That was a thing in, in the, yeah, in, in, in the bodybuilding.com forums. Like everyone's like, yeah, I found a... Uh, you know, two pounds of dextrose for five bucks in <laughs> the brewing store. And, and I, I I have to admit that I did that. I, I bought a bag of dextrose. <laughs> okay. All right. That, that, I, I, I appreciate the honesty there. Uh, so, I, I mean, it doesn't matter as much now when the timing of the food is much, right? If, if you're if you're lifting, and I mean, maybe if you're like a professional athlete or something, that might be a little bit different. But mm-hmm. is, is it really mattering that much You know, if we're – if we're having our, you know, for me, let's say my 150 grams of protein, does it matter if it's one meal, two meals, an hour before, hour after exercise? Does it matter? This, this is the complicated answer to that. If your goal was weight or fat loss 
and you were running a caloric deficit to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to lose weight. So you're, you're taking in less calories than you're burning over the course of the day, the week, the month. The distribution of protein doesn't seem to affect that. Okay. So it's, it's pretty interesting. You can have, theoretically, like one or two meals a day. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the, the guy next to you having the same regimen as you can be eating four, five, six times a day. And you're both you're just clones, you know, running this experiment. Um, it's not likely that, that your protein distribution through the day is going to matter in hypocaloric conditions. Okay. So, and, and that's been seen in several studies now. Now, what we don't know and what I would hypothesize is not likely is that uh, <laughs> the same thing would happen if we're trying to gain muscle. If we're, if we're in a hypercaloric state where you're eating more calories than you're burning, right. I think that, and, and for the goal of maximizing rates of muscle gain, I would hypothesize that it does matter, that protein distribution does matter. Okay. And so I wrote a paper with my friend and colleague, Brad Schoenfeld. Uh, I love to call him Saint Schoenfeld <laughs> whenever I can, to, just to troll the man. Yeah, yeah, he, He's got great research. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, we speculate that a minimum of four feedings of protein at roughly 0.4 to 0.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. Mm-hmm. Each dose is going to maximize muscle growth in hypercaloric conditions. And so that's the hypothesis. Okay. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of research being done on optimizing rates of muscle gain. You know, people, yeah. uh, the, the public health problems at large are how do we get weight off of people? Right. And how do we maintain lean body mass? Those are more pressing public health concerns. So, it, you know, our, our hypothesis of, okay, four protein feedings through the day, fairly evenly distributed at 0.4 to 0.6 grams per kilo, that might end up being a hypothesis until the end of time. So okay. we'll, we'll see. Makes sense. All right, we, we got a couple more questions here for you. Now, we touched on the plant-based and the Game Changers movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I know we can go down a rabbit hole with this, but uh, I don't want to ask you the questions before. You said fad. Mm-hmm. How so? Oh, where to start? Where to start? I know we can do an entire episode on this. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, if you were to summarize for people who, who see this, who don't have any sort of like nutritional background mm-hmm. or, um, you know, what would you tell them to when they're watching this film? Okay, number one, I didn't see the movie. Okay. Because I would probably want to uh, choke myself out. <laughs> okay. Um, and number two, any documentary based on with a diet theme, any one of them, uh, is going to be biased towards entertainment first, views first, sales first, mm-hmm. and then education a very, very, very far distant second. Um, you, you never want to let the facts get in the way of a good story when it comes to filmmaking. And that is no exception with Game Changers. Um, and we do have to look at certain things. I, I found this out uh, sort of by accident. And the the main guy behind Game Changers, the main funding dude, James Cameron, he, he's a, a raging vegan, I believe. <laughs> and not only that, but he's got a um, major financial stake in the production of uh, plant-based protein products, pro- plant-based uh, protein powders and supplementation yeah. and all that stuff. And so uh, naturally, um, business-wise, it makes a good dovetailing with, with his product and business ventures right. 
to put this um, major film out. And uh, But, that, you know, there's even other angles to look at it, too. It, it's like this. We, as a species, would not be able to live on a vegan diet without supplementation. Mm-hmm. So there is essential nutrition that we miss out on by going full-bore plant-based. And uh, <laughs> so just by biological design, yeah. humans are not vegans, period, end of story, done. Um, now, there is the whole argument of, well, um, maybe we have a moral obligation uh, to the animals and, and to the environment to, to go vegan and all that. Yeah. And then my response would be, okay, well, so suddenly the human species has to be a martyr for the planet. Right. Now, why is that? Oh, because we're the smartest. Oh, are we? Are humans really the smartest freaking animals? I've on met the a lot of dumb humans, man. <laughs> if you go on Twitter, you'll know that we're not the smartest <laughs> yeah, animals yeah, on I've the planet. A lot of dumb, dumb humans. <laughs> All right, so I mean, so that I mean, as far as what you're saying is, it, it's kind of like the uh, the dairy industry funding its own research, and uh, the movie you've got these people that are involved in that that are kind of putting it out there, and it's entertainment value. Um, I watched. I did watch it. It was shot very well, and and it was one of the most beautiful documentaries I've ever seen, but James Cameron was behind it. So, you know, that that is quite interesting. Uh, a lot of people don't know about that, but it did, I think, uh, one good thing, whether, you know, I'm not going to tell you guys my thoughts uh, about it, but one good thing, it opened up the conversation for people to talk about nutrition mm-hmm. uh, even more. So that's a positive aspect of it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there, there are some positive stuff. I'm absolutely. all for... There's such thing as being a, uh, what well, actually my wife would she she would say a plant based omnivore. Okay. <laughs> so you have a predominantly uh, plant filled diet that also happens to have some animal products in it, and that is really no different from what the public health guidelines have been since, gosh, since the beginning of time that makes sense so just the whole extreme of saying no animal products uh that can kind of get very cultish very religious sure. did you bike to work today are you t- are you telling me how to eat right, you right, know? Right, right, right. so yeah okay all right so if somebody i mean uh, and this is the general population if they want to lose weight what what should they be concerned about? Are they a certain amount of calories that you want them to cut? Is there certain like just a few vitamins that you would recommend, or you know, or supplementation? What what are a few steps that they can take right now? For losing weight, it's going to be an equal emphasis, a three part equal emphasis on calories, protein, and satiety. Okay, so you you have to be in a caloric deficit. You have to be consuming enough protein. I would start with that 1.6 grams per kilo or 0.7 grams per pound. Okay. And then you would have to focus on the foods that satisfy you most. You can't build a weight loss diet on foods that just leave you ragingly hungry all the time because you'll be able to stick to the diet for three weeks and then you're going to go on a pizza and ice cream binge for the next month. Yeah. So... Yeah, those would be the elements okay. that, that I would look at. All right, makes sense. Uh, probably move a little bit more would be wonderful as well. Now, yeah. is there any certain um, like vitamins that you tell people to take? Should they take a multivitamin? Should they take some sort of fish oil? Uh, what are some general guidelines? Yeah, um, the there there are four micronutrients that are, are in low dosing in, in your typical one-a-day multi. Um, that would be magnesium, vitamin D3, uh, calcium, and potassium. 
So uh, while it, it's probably not a good idea to start dosing potassium in addition to you know your, your pre-existing diet, I, I would rather see people eating more fruits and vegetables mm -hmm. to get their potassium. Eat, eat more, gosh, uh, potassium-containing foods to get that. Um, I would rather, instead of people uh, supplementing with a calcium pill, I would rather them make sure they consume some freaking dairy if they can tolerate it. Right. You know, if they don't have an allergy or an intolerance, get your cheese, your yogurt, your, your milk in. Um, if they can't, where, the sh where should they get it from? If they can't, well, then there's other calcium sources in the diet. Uh, it, it Honestly, it can be pretty tough if you don't supplement with calcium unless you eat stuff like tofu will have some calcium sure. in it. Um, there are greens that do have an appreciable amount of calcium if you eat enough of it, but then there's this caveat of whether um, anti-nutrients such as the phytates, um, oxalates, whether those things would bind calcium and render them biologically unavailable. So um, with people who don't do dairy at all, you know, you, you may need to supplement a bit okay. with calcium. Right. And there's some controversy over calcium supplementation in cardiovascular disease, but uh, all of that research is a mess because it's observationally based and there's really, uh, it's really tough to establish a causal link between those sort of things. All right. So I would, man, I should be getting paid by Big Dairy because... <laughs> I'm a fan. <laughs> and you are not by, paid by Big Dairy, so we're going to point that out. Now, Ma magnesium, uh, is, magnesium. Is, the, is the other one that, you know, um, I, I personally take magnesium. Mm -hmm. I personally supplement with magnesium. Um, I personally supplement with, with vitamin D3. Uh, I'm not in the sun a whole lot. I, I, I get my, my tan from my computer screen. Oh, nice. Yeah. It, 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 it's a, it's a good know. tan, man. Yeah, it bronzes me perfectly. Yeah, that, nice you know, job. Yeah. Mine's from a Thank bottle. I'm a, I'm a white boy, so I got to handy that. The fish oil question is interesting. Um, I would encourage people to eat fatty fish a couple times a week, mm -hmm. uh, at least if they can. And if they absolutely refuse to eat any kind of fish or any kind of marine-sourced omega-3, then you can justify supplementing with fish oil. Okay. Uh, if people are vegan, then there's there's an algae, uh, algae uh, option. And it, which is pretty funny because then you're going to be paying double. Um, and uh, I don't know. The, the whole vegan question is very frustrating and, and face palmy for me because they really are fighting an ideological battle, an ethical battle. And when they start trying to argue on the basis of nutrition and health, that's when their arguments really fall apart. Okay. All right. Makes sense. Now, where do you see the future of your industry and nutrition heading? Where do, where do you think we're headed towards? God, I don't know, man. Um, uh, what I would like to see it headed towards is how nutrition can best support the maintenance of gain, maintenance, and or gain of lean body mass as people get older. So, um, you know, I, I'm I'm turning like 38, you know, next year. So, um, I'm totally con I'm kidding. I was gonna say, <laughs> man, like you, you are younger than I thought. <laughs> I, I'm I'm turning 48 next year, and and so the you, whole you, you do look good. I won't even say you don't. You look good for your age because right. I hate when people say that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah, just yeah. I just look good. Period. You look good. Just period. Uh, okay. I love I love you, man. Yeah. I, I, for I, the record, I love you too, bro. Do you even live? For the record, cool. Alan A loves Joey. Oh, great. So, um, I I am very interested in the idea of how nutrition can prevent things like sarcopenia. Mm things that I've kind of dealt with, uh, you know, on a personal level, seeing uh, my dad basically lose a hell of a lot of lean body mass and the consequences of that. Um, 
I think that it's very important to see how resistance tra- the combination of resistance training and nutrition can impact functional capacity. Um, so, uh, you know, you're going to be a zaddy soon. I just learned that, that word like two days ago. A zaddy? Zaddy. Yes. Google it, man. What is that? Z-A-D-D-Y. Uh, it's a, a, a cashed up older guy who also happens to, to look good and be attractive. Oh, yeah. Man, I'm a zaddy all the way. <laughs> all right. I'm a, I'm a zaddy. Hey, son, if you're listening, I'm a zaddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, with the rise of the zaddies coming through. Yeah. Um, God, I'm so obnoxious with that. But yeah, no, it, it is important. I think that uh, healthy aging is, is going to be a big one. Yeah. And of course, we're, we're butting heads with the longevity nutters who don't even lift and telling everybody to restrict protein. Okay. So, you know, so, uh, sorry guys, but that, uh, that, that's uh, all right. I, 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 I like that. I think that's where we'll leave it. Alan, where can people find you? AlanAragon.com. And uh, I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, the Alan Aragon. Somebody has Alan Aragon. So otherwise, I wouldn't do the. It'd sound egotistical. Asshole. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Shame Regular Alan Aragon, and not the Alan Aragon. I'm yeah. sure you're a good person. Shame. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> uh, and then you have your uh, research review, which they could get on yes. your website as well, right? Yes, that's been going since 2008. I started the research review trend. Nice. You're welcome. N- nice job. You're welcome, world. Uh, all right, guys, this is Joey Thurman. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Fatter Future Podcast. And remember, don't be a fatty. Be a zaddy. <laughs> yeah, see, yeah, that's funny because I didn't even say fat. don't be a fatty is my tagline. F-A-D-D-Y, fatterfuture.com. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, concerns, you can uh, ask Alan. Questions and comments, you can ask Thank me. you, Joey. And take care. Do something for your health today. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure to follow on social at Fat or Future Podcast. You can follow me at Joey Thurman Fit. Don't be a fatty. Merchandise is available. Hoodies, hats, t-shirts, and beanies at fatterfuture.com. And make sure to check back next week. We've got a good episode for you. Music.